we're kind of trucking our way through First Thessalonians. It's a letter. It's like first century email. What do we do? Email still? Is email outdated? It's like first century DMing, except to like a whole people group. Now people are wondering what DMing is. It's direct messaging. Okay. Okay. So Paul writes a letter to the church out in Thessalonica. This is Greece we're talking about. And he's writing some encouragement to them. He's talking about what life should be like, how they should live. He's praising them for how well they've done under persecution that they've had. Paul has, it's awesome. He spent a few weeks with them. And then he, he starts jotting down these letters, sent, uh, sending, to, um, sending it to them. So we're going to talk a little bit about, little bit about what's happening in the background. We're going to develop context. Because we're reading someone else's mail. Have you ever, be honest, have you ever gotten a letter sent to your house and it was for the previous tenant? Okay, did you guys open it up? And we're like, dude, hey, oh, how much? I mean, I've never done that. I probably shouldn't lie in the pulpit. But you're, you're reading someone else's mail, okay? So we want to, we want to, we, gosh, can we strike that from the live stream? Because what if someone from the post office is watching this? I just thought about that. We better get into the word. Keep it about Jesus. Keep it about Jesus. Let's read 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. Okay. Finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are all in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Let's stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, help us to draw closer to you by digging into scripture, Lord. Thank you for an amazing, sweet time of worship, Lord. And Father, we now choose to worship you with our mind. So speak to us, fill this place, Holy Spirit. Inspire us that we may apply these words to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm not checking my direct messages. I'm setting my timer. That's good for all of us. 
Living to please God, that's what we're talking about tonight. That's the message that kind of threads this whole passage tonight, living to please God. One of my favorite Bible teachers, his name's Dr. Tony Evans. He's a pastor out in Texas. And he once said, it can be easy to begin the Christian life well, but following Jesus is not just a single step. It's about putting one foot in front of the other for a lifetime. Now, as you heard, as we are going through the passage, we're going to talk a little bit about sex outside of marriage. It was as much of a problem back then as it is today. The reason why I'm saying it and pointing it out is because I know that there's younger people in the audience, so they should uh, probably going to provoke some conversation on the way home, but I promise I will totally keep it G-rated. Tonight, through this passage, we're learning that the Christian journey is an ongoing walk to please God, shaping our lives into the image of Jesus Christ. And as we're navigating this path, he was saying that our love for fellow believers will grow, okay? So we're going to talk about our Christian journey. We're going to talk about how it's an ongoing walk. We're aiming to please the Lord. And, and, and in doing so, through our walk, he's shaping our lives to look more like Jesus Christ. And I love that he said that at the end. And your brotherly love, increase it more and more. Let's dig right into to verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. You kind of, I bet you the readers right then were like, oh, he says, finally then, like if Paul's coming to a close. No, he's a preacher. He still has some more to say. He knows what he's doing. He's basically saying, okay, and for the rest of you guys, or check this out, come close. Here's what I have to say to you guys. You ought to walk. He's using this metaphor, talking about our path, our path, our daily lives. He's saying, I can't say it enough, guys. Live in a way that pleases the Lord. He says, I know you're doing it. But keep it up. Keep on keeping on in the Lord. What he's, showing, what he's showing us is that our growth in the Lord, it never stops. Our growth in the Lord never stops. It's never done. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So Paul, like I was saying, he spent three weeks... Acts 17 tells us he spent three Sabbaths. They happen once a week, so three weeks. And man, he didn't waste any time with them. He was teaching, he was preaching, he was loving on these guys, showing them things of the Lord, causing up a riot. Then he had to hightail it out of Thessalonica. As we learned last week, Paul was so worried about them. He's like, I got to get back there. I got to make sure these guys are all right. What am I going to do? Well, he finally resolved to just stay where he was at and he sends Timothy to go check on the Thessalonians, see how they're doing. So Timothy reports back to Paul. He goes, Paul, I've got great news. They've endured a ton of persecution. Timothy, boy, get to the great news. 
they've done really well. They're still steadfast in their faith. In fact, they're doing so well. Their love for all the Christian brothers, it's going all over the place. People are recognizing the Thessalonian believers as people who love. Paul is so, so excited. And he starts writing this letter. So he's teaching and he's preaching. He's telling them, hey, you know the commandments that we gave you. You know the instructions that we left for you guys. He's just bringing it to their memory. If you've ever spent time in the first five books of the Bible and you counted all the commandments, or you could be like me, I just Googled how many there were. 613, I'm told. I'm just kidding. There really are 613 commandments. That's a lot of commandments. Thank God he made it simple for us because Jesus is like, that's a lot of commandments. Check it out. I got two for you. Two, he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He said that in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. That's Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, if you're taking notes. All of these commandments boil down to two commandments. You know, you can get all the commandments down to one word. You guessed it. Love. That's what God wants from us. Love. Well, in verses three and four, well, actually, let's take verse three. He says, okay, you know the commandments I gave to you, right? That's verse two. Verse three, he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Wow, this is the one will of God? No, we're talking about something that delights God. Something that delights God. And he's saying what delights God is our sanctification. Sanctification. Great, nice vocab word to learn when you're in seminary or Bible college. Sanctification. Here's what it means, guys. To set apart. To set apart. <clears throat> when we invite Jesus into our lives, we are now being set apart for the Lord. Sanctification. We're being set apart. Why? Well, he is setting us apart for himself. And the process of being set apart, getting drawn closer to the Lord, being changed and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ, it takes our entire lives on this side of eternity. Sanctification. Well, that sounds like a long time. Well, for some, for others, it's pretty quick. No, sanctification is being set apart for the Lord. And it's the process of us being shaped into the image of Jesus Christ on this side of eternity. When we invite the Lord into our lives, God's the one who starts this. And here's what I was thinking about when I say he starts it. Because a verse that we talk about a lot at the packing house, Pastor Ed usually teaches on it almost every single week. He brings up this verse from Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 26. 
The prophet Ezekiel said, well, God said through Ezekiel, God says, I will give you, us, a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So he, what he does is he takes out our old heart and puts in a new heart. For everyone sitting in here, you guys are sitting on concrete. I'm actually standing on about three or four feet of solid con- concrete. It doesn't move. It's not responsive to my touch. Now, a heart of flesh, think about this. When you touch the little fatty part of your thumb, it responds to your touch, right? So what God does when you invite him into your life is he takes out the old, stubborn, stony heart and puts in a heart of flesh, one that is responsive to his touch. Well, it sounds like he's making me a robot, going to make me follow his decrees. Well, what we do is we surrender to the Lord. We're saying, Lord, I choose you. He says, I'm going to download my Holy Spirit right into your life, and I'm going to start producing fruit. I'm going to start changing the things that you want. We're choosing. We're choosing him. It starts with the Lord. It's continuing with him, too. We're asking, Lord, I choose you. I choose to give you my life. And he says, awesome. I choose to download my Holy Spirit into you. And he's, he's changing our lives from the inside out. And he's not going to stop working on your life. Isn't that cool? You ever thought, like, I need help? I know I do. I need help. <laughs> Lord, you're not done yet. And he goes, Mijo, I know. <laughs> I got a lot of work left in you, man. He says in Philippians 1.6, and this is from the English Standard Version, Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This sanctification, this process of setting us apart and shaping us into the image of Jesus Christ, changing our want-tos, it's all, it takes a whole lifetime. It takes a whole lifetime. All, it takes the whole time on this side of eternity. Well, he says... For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Remember, we are reading someone else's letters, right? So let's think about when this was written. It was written back in AD 50, 51, depending on what Bible nerd you read. So around the 50s, okay? Paul, when he wrote it, history tells us he was in Corinth. He was in Corinth, Around Corinth, there's all kinds of temples to different places. Rome's in control. In Thessalonica, Rome's in control. In that first century Roman culture, man, sex outside of marriage, it was like the business back then. It was part of their culture. It was part of their culture. It was normal. You know what, church? A lesson we can take is culture does not dictate the Bible. Culture does not dictate the Bible. The Bible should dictate culture. The Bible should dictate culture. Remember I talked about that word choice, though? 
Some people choose not to surrender to the Lord. But the principle is culture doesn't dictate the Bible, but the Bible should dictate culture. Today, as it was back then, culture says, please self. Please self, it's okay, why not? Go out there, get a great job, make tons of money, just take care of yourself. Yeah, culture may say that's okay, but if you've spent any time with Jesus in the Gospels, man, he is countercultural, big time. Don't go hang out with those guys. You can't go talk to her, she's a woman. Jesus is like, hey, how's it going? Like, yeah, I'm the Messiah, Savior of the world. Don't go like to those disgusting, disease-ridden lepers. He's like, come here, let me clean you up. Go tell the priest. Go clean yourself up. He, he's so countercultural. If you were an outcast, he was like, come here. You're part of the tribe. I love you. I love you. Man, he was so countercultural. He is awesome. He's awesome. God delights in us abstaining from sexual immorality. Abstain means stay away from Stay away from, he's saying, stay away from all sexual sin. <clears throat> the Greek word, the Greek word that, come, that makes sexual immorality is pornea, pornea. It's, the Bible uses it as a broad word to describe any sexual relationship outside of marriage, okay? And because I like to teach simply and clearly, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. On the first couple of bi- uh, pages of the Bible, God speaks, things happen. And man, the earth was good, he said. Then he forms man. He's, he looks at man and he goes, oh, I could do better than that. No, he says, it's not good that man should be alone. So then he takes a rib out of Adam and he makes Eve a wife for the man. So Rick, what are you saying? Sexual immorality is sex outside of marriage. Why bring up Genesis? God ordains marriage between man and woman. Why does he make such a big deal of people having sex outside of marriage? What's the problem? God is all-knowing. He knows about sexually transmitted diseases. God knew about accidental parents, not accidental kids. There are no accidental kids, but I'm convinced there are accidental parents. Did you know? Man, there were, I mean, this is not a good thing. Check it out. I pulled the CDC's, um, the CDC's National Center of Health Statistics, and it reported that in 2021... 1.5 million kids were born to unmarried women. This same study said that 40% of all births that year were to unmarried women. And I have this, uh, the reference here in case anybody wants to know it. It's such a big deal. It's, it's a bad thing to have sex outside of marriage. 
I stopped years ago asking my boys on, in thir- my Thursday night Bible study, and if you're not familiar with what that is, I do a Bible study in juvenile hall. It's a jail for youngsters. And I stopped asking them, hey guys, how many people have dads at home? Zero hands go up. How many people have moms at home? Maybe one or two out of the 20. Most of them come from their aunties or their grandmas. Most of them, a lot of them also come from a foster situation. I'm telling you, church, God delights in abstinence until marriage for a reason. We can't, I've said this before, we cannot mix up 1 John 4.8, which says, God is love. What do you mean mix it up? Think about it. If you mix it up, love is is God. Love becomes God. And you can walk down the street and see what I mean. God is love. That's how he intended it. He said what he meant and he meant what he said. God is love. If you, mess, if you, you flip those words, you can get yourself into a world of trouble. It says here in verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. To possess his vessel, to control his body or our bodies. Vessel, uh, vessel. we already know what sanctification is, but vessel is, is a container, right? Is any container. And here we have this picture of a vessel, meaning our bodies, okay? And what Paul is saying is he says, guys and girls, learn self-control. You know what I found? Self-control doesn't come automatically. Isn't that weird? Self-control doesn't come automatically. You put a box of chocolates out on the front desk of the third floor, and I can guarantee you a couple of them will go missing. And I I mean, it is a... I just need to learn self-control. I need to practice it. It involves work. It involves discipline. No, I don't mean punishment. I mean training, discipline, training. Okay, here's some pro tips on self-control. If you have a problem with self-control when you're around a group of friends, find a new group of friends. If the conversation starts to go sideways and they're all starting to say dumb stuff, walk away. Get out of that group chat. Mute it. Get rid of it. Get yourself out of that group chat. Those things are annoying anyways. Please don't put me in group chats. I don't like that. I, I know people are watching online too. But if you see a chat going f- sideways, get out of there. Man, if you get on a group chat, seriously, I don't know if you guys know this, but if you get on a group chat and someone starts sending like some bad or illegal pictures, everyone's, everyone's on the hook for that. Did you know that? It's a Crime to even have bad photos like of weird stuff on your phone. Get out of that stuff. There's no reason you should be in those, in those group chats. Maybe you have a problem with drinking. Don't go to bars. Don't go to, don't go to liquor stores. You might think like, oh, come on, Rick, that's making sense. No, people really struggle with this stuff. I, I get it. I get it. Maybe you're like getting too like close with someone and intimate with someone and you're like, oh my gosh, Pastor Rick was just talking about this 
What do I do? Throw up a quick prayer to the Lord. God, get me out of here. Help. What a simple prayer. Help me, God. Man, he is helpful. God says, call on me when you're in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you. Psalm 50, 15. Call me, he says. I'm not going to send you to the voicemail. I don't care if you throw me into group chats. That's called corporate prayer. I want to hear from you. I will help you and rescue you. That was from Psalm 50, okay? In case you guys need that encouragement. Cry out to God. Man, he will help you. He knows what you're going through. You know why? Because Jesus himself, the Bible says, he was tempted in every way that we are tempted, but he never sinned. He knows exactly what we're going through. He was tempted in every single way, but he never sinned. He never sinned. He faced all the same testings that we do. Man, remember, guys, you believer, if you have a relationship with the Lord, you're never alone. He's always with you. Keep asking God to help you with this self-control thing. It's actually something that's an evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Ask him, Lord, help me, help me. And buckle up because he'll help you. And, and if you, man, just keep praying. Seriously, keep praying. Okay, verse five. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, But another translation says, here we're to learn to appreciate and give dignity to our body, not abusing it. Not abusing it, as is common among those who know nothing of God, is what he's saying. There's an obvious difference between a believer in Jesus Christ and one who's not a believer. You know why? Because it's like we always say, our lives reflect our relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we're not to copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect and perfect. Verse six, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. Man, he's clearly talking about cheating and adultery. Oh, man, Rick, you are talking a lot about sin tonight. I thought churches, we're not supposed to talk about sin. Just keep getting to the grace. Hey, listen, if you guys never been to the packing house, we teach book by book and verse by verse. If it's in the Bible, we talk about it, guys. Why do we talk about it? Because the Lord inspired every scripture so that we can be equipped, so that we know when we're getting off track, so we know when we're on track, he's encouraging us. Man, this Bible is made to develop us for everything that the Lord has for us. So if you're wondering like, dang, I picked the wrong night to go to Sunday nights, check it out, we'll, we'll be in end times to, uh, next week. But I'll, I'll tell you, yeah, it gets way better. <laughs> he says, guys, you think... You think that your sin goes unnoticed? You think your sin goes unnoticed? No way. Have you ever read Numbers 32, 23? That's such an obscure verse. Let me tell you why it's so like, whoa, 
Numbers 32, 23. He says, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Man, I've been around families where like cheating and adultery has happened. Very close to some. And I'll tell you, hearts are shredded. Lives shredded. Kids torn apart. Friends and family, they're confused and they don't know what to do. They can't believe this happened. It is... It's like someone throws a grenade and it just maims a bunch of people. God's saying, guys, the sinful things that we do does affect people around us. It affects us. How do I get past this sin that sounds so terrible, that messes with people? How do I get past it? Confess it. The Bible says, you believe in Jesus Christ? The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9. Who? Jesus. The same guy that died once to break the power of sin. But now he lives. He lives for the glory of God. That's Romans 6.10. What am I saying? Jesus Christ the same guy who went after the outcast, who loved the unlovable, who makes you feel welcome in the family of God. He's the one who unites all believers. He's the one who builds a bridge between us and the Lord. He, this amazing, awesome being, he died for our sins so that we could have a relationship with the Lord, so we could have access to forgiveness. Confess it, it means Say the same thing as. It doesn't mean, oh my gosh, I got to tell Pastor Rick every single thing I've ever done. No, you don't. Pray. (laughs) Tell God, Lord, I shouldn't have done that. He is just and faithful to forgive and cleanse of all unrighteousness. He died for our sin, Jesus did. His blood has the power to cleanse us from all wickedness. From all wickedness. Those verses are powerful, guys. I've met murderers, young and old, where they hear that verse and they think, oh my gosh, I never thought I deserved it. And before I met Jesus, I'd be like, yeah, I don't think you do either, pal. But God does. He sent his son on the cross to die for our sins. And three days later, he came back from the dead. He killed death at the cross. How cool is that? He battled sin and death and he won. And we, we get the credit for that battle if we believe in Jesus Christ. Verse seven says that God did not call us to uncleanness, but holiness. He, God did not call us to be pure to earn God's love. This is an important statement. God does not call us to be pure to earn his love. We are to stay pure because God loves us. See how that works? See, the Bible says that it's by God's gift, his grace that we're saved, made whole, restored. God did all the work, his son on the cross. That's the gift, that's the grace, that's the blessing that we don't deserve, but he gives it to us anyways. So it's for by grace we've been saved, made whole, have our eternal addresses changed forever. 
It's by grace we've been saved through our faith, believing our confidence in the Lord. You can't earn God's love. In fact, God loved you first. God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. It's because God loves us that we stay pure. Because God loves us, we try to just change and live to please the Lord. Because God loves us, we're, we stay journeying with the Lord, allowing him and inviting him to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. And while we're doing that, our brotherly love is growing. So therefore, verse 8, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. If you disregard our good advice here, Paul's saying, that's on you and you're not, you're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with the Lord himself. It's our choice. Isn't that cool that God's a gentleman? The question I get asked by most people that are like thinking about believing in the Lord or they want to talk about God, they always want to ask, well, if there's a loving God, why is there so much fill in the blank, war, famine, suffering? It's, it's this thing of choice. If I could just say it simply, it's this thing of choice. You know, when I said he created man and woman, he gave them a choice. He says, hey, you guys have the opportunity to eat of this whole garden, but don't eat of this tree. It won't work out for you guys. And they're like, okay. And he was like, okay, serpent, this is great. She eats whatever it was. Everybody thinks it was an apple. It could have been a banana. I have no idea. She eats it and says, Adam, try this. He's like, uh, okay. They chose. The tree of knowledge of good and evil wasn't bad. The choice that they made was bad. They chose to disobey and disregard God's instructions. And Paul is saying right here, he who rejects does not reject man, but God. Whew, all right. Verse nine, but concerning brotherly love, all right, we're pulling out of this, guys. Brotherly love. This is fun. This one's a fun topic. Hey, I'm just as excited to get out of that topic as, as anybody, okay? I'm the one up here having to talk. Getting to, getting to talk. Okay, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. I love it. God himself inspires us to love others. Now, when we're in the, in the New Testament, we often hear the word love, and usually it's two Greek words that you hear. You hear agape love, which is God's love toward us. It's not simply of love based on feelings. It's an actionable love. I want the best for them. I'm going to do something. It's the best for them, and they don't deserve it. That's agape love in a nutshell. The word we're talking about is phileia, which is used to describe brotherly love. Like Philadelphia, right? Where the Fresh Prince is from. He's from Philadelphia, born and raised. He spent a lot of days on them playgrounds. Anybody? Yeah, thank you, those people from the 90s. Not everybody gets that. 
You know, as I was thinking of slideshows for tonight, I almost put a picture of the Fresh Prince up on there, and I thought, oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. It's a, it's, Philea is an affection marked by strong action. It's a word that describes people who meet the needs of others. It's not mere talk or superficial socializing. What it's describing is Christians, a bunch of different people of the same family. You are in Christ. You are part of God's family. He is God the Father. We're all brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I, I, I shared that with a junior higher the other day, that we're all brothers and sisters. And he looked at one of his, he's a little guy, and he looked at one of his female leaders, and he says, what's up, sister? It was the cutest thing ever. <laughs> it was so cute. It was so funny when he did it, we all started busted up. He got it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you can get it too. You know, God the Father, I learned this this week, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all teach about love. And I was so excited when I came across this, I couldn't wait to share it with you. God the Father, God teaches us to love one another. We love because he first loved us, right? First John 1 John 4.19. Jesus, who is God, the Son, he says, hey, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. That was John 13.34. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another, John 13.34. The Holy Spirit, he also teaches us to love one another. It says, when he poured out the love of God in our hearts, believer. Romans 5, 5. It says, he poured out the love of God in our hearts when we trusted Christ. Wow, that's cool. And indeed, you do so toward all brethren who are in all Macedonia. And we urge you more, uh, we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. How do you love more and more? I'll tell you how you love more and more, by God putting you in circumstances where you're forced to love that guy more and more and more. That's just how it does it, how he does it. He puts us in circumstances to learn to love. Well, how? Okay, let's say you're in a situation and you have this relationship with Christ and you've got to just, you have so much love. Someone comes up, I'm hungry, please feed me. Okay. Okay. I'll feed you. Maybe someone needs your help and you really, you don't, you don't know whether or not they deserve it. Well, you agape them. Okay, you agape them. Well, where do I get such love? Well, from God, because God is love. He's the source, right? What about when you need to show love and you know, you know all too well that they don't deserve it? Like someone who's in need of your forgiveness. Oh, come on. Are you being serious? It sounded all good until you got to that part. I know. So you ask God, God, you are the source of love. Help me to love and do this act that you're calling me to do this forgiveness. Like I said, increase more and more. What he does is he puts us into these circumstances. 
<clears throat> okay, let's start wrapping this up. Verse 11, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. This is one of my favorite verses. To lead a quiet life and mind your own business. Let's just stop there. Main point, mind your business. Just kidding, I'll, I'll teach. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. He really is saying this. Make it your goal. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your own hands, just as we've instructed you before. Don't go looking for the drama, he says. What Bible translation is that? Oh, it's the PRC, the Pastor Rick Cornejo version. (laughs) Save the drama. Don't go looking for it. Who wants less drama? I'll have you know that we almost have 100% of the audience, so front row, stay away from the back row, people. Just kidding, just kidding. We love all. He says, he uses some cool words here. He says, aspire, right? Aspire to lead a quiet life. Don't forget to mind your own business. He also uses that, I like the aspire word and the quiet word. What he does is he's saying, hey, this should be a good, this is a good ambition. This is a good ambition. And he couples it with this low energy word, quiet. Paul wanted them to see that a tranquil, restful life requires effort. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Oh, it's good to get in the cheese man, get those phone calls. Wait, what's going on? It actually takes effort to, to like, no, I don't, come on, I don't want to hear that. Save that, no, I don't want to be a part of it. Save your story. It does take effort. And he's saying, he gets to the point about the working with your own hands so you may walk properly toward those who are outside. Basically, he's telling people, it's okay to work, guys. It's okay to work and get a job and provide for yourself. He is saying that. That's what he's saying. He goes, hey, when people are on the outside, you don't have to just keep taking handouts. You know what? Prove to them that it's okay to just leave a quiet life, do your thing, make, make whatever you make. That's it. So I told you guys, tonight we learned that the Christian journey is an ongoing walk to please God. And on this walk, our lives are being shaped into the image of Christ. And as we're navigating and going down the path, brotherly love is growing in in us. Got it? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for clear instructions about living a pure life. Help us, Lord, to combat any temptations, Lord. Deliver us from the evil one, God. Give us that way out from temptation if anyone's struggling, God. Just remind us, me too, of your presence, Lord. And thank you that we can call on you and that you will rescue us, God. Anybody struggling with temptation, God, I just pray that you would strengthen them and remind them of your clear words that you love them and that you, you delight when they would abstain. Lord, and thank you for brotherly love. Lord, I know all this begins with a relationship with you. And I'd hate for anyone, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'd hate for anyone to miss out on an opportunity to welcome the Lord into their life. If you'd like to know your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know where you'd spend eternity, then this moment's for you. We say this prayer often, every week. And you can say it if you would like to invite Jesus into your life. You can say it out loud with us, or you could pray it in the intimacy of your own heart. And it goes like this. Lord Jesus, I surrender. 
I give you my life. Please forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. And all of God's kids agreed by saying, Amen. Amen, church. Hey, God bless you guys. Good night. If no one's told you that they love you, I love you, church. More importantly, God totally loves you guys. Good night.